Warning, the following podcast is conducted by trained professionals. Any attempts to replicate opinions given in this production may result in serious physical and or mental disfigurement. Viewer discretion is advised. Greetings, Earthlings. It's Cop coming at you once again. I'm here with my host, special guest, Matthew. How you doing? I'm doing mighty fine today, Lucas. How are you doing? Tired. We had a bit of a long night. Mm-hmm. Some festivities occurred. We we're celebrating a buddy's uh, belated birthday. Shout out to Mitch Vapes. Hashtag Mitch Vapes. And, uh, you know, Luckily, I watched a movie beforehand, so I wasn't half asleep watching it, but uh, I should have been, because there wasn't a whole lot that happened in it. The movie that we're talking about today is The Hunger, 1983 film, directed by Tony Scott, who I didn't know, so brother of Ridley Scott, R.I.P. Tony, cop curse, I guess, and... Uh, David Bowie was in it. Susan Sarandon's in it, who I know from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Pretty much all I know her from. And then just a bunch of nobodies. Um, Willem Dafoe's people. in that for a second. Sorry, yes. The, and there's Willem Dafoe as second youth booth. Se- second phone booth youth. For like 20, maybe 10 seconds. Maybe actually less. Probably 10 seconds, I'll say. He's on screen. I want to fact check this, but I I was assuming that that was like his first role. I read in the trivia that apparently Tony Scott campaigned to have him in, which is weird because he's in there for basically no time at all. I know he's in Platoon in 87, but this is 83, so it must have been one of his early roles. Uh, His first role was in Heaven's Gate. Oh, interesting. Not the cult, but... uh... Some Western movie, it looks like. 1980. So, I mean, still, this was his fourth movie. His fourth movie, I guess. I guess, you know what? Props to Tony Scott for seeing something in that young that young thespian. But then, he, yeah, he did good. Yeah, Platoon was his first big role, looking at his filmography. And then he was in a Scorsese movie. And, and you know, he, then he was talking to Spider-Man on a rooftop. as uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. We we can just fight and and hurt each other again and again and again until we're both dead. Back we, to formula. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do the Raimi's movies soon, man. They're so good. They're so and cultish. Any, any big movie that you and I both are already a fan of, I just want to wait till the studios open. Can we do um? Can we do so we can do any movies? What you're saying? You're opening the floodgates. No, well, any call movie that you and I already have fan. Well, I told you before, like, I'm down to do Cop Picks. Cop Picks? Where... Special episodes? Yeah, like, I don't know. Is 21 Jump Street a cult movie? Maybe. But you and I both really like that movie, so. Yeah. You know what? Cop, cop purists be damned. We'll do them. Because we love movies, cult or not, you know. The cult if, you, if you listen to the show Newsflash, it's not democracy, okay? We tell you what you're gonna, what we're talking about, okay? 
You know what? Tomorrow, if we want to talk about basket weaving, we'll do it. And you guys will listen to it, and you'll stream it, and you'll tell all your friends about it. Because that's how loyal cop fans are. I believe in you guys. And you guys will rock the cop tag in TF2, and you'll put our logo on your objector. That's all I'm saying. Any cop fans listening, if you're playing TF2 right now, just head over to our page, screenshot that profile pic. Use that re- hashtag represent cop. Okay, we're gonna start a movement going in TF two, and whenever and it's gonna spur it, Valve to make TF three, and then you know I'm not saying something's gonna happen, but you know maybe they'll give us a call. We throw a couple of voice lines in there for a couple of new characters, and you know I think it'll be a win win for everybody. You get a little revenue on our side. Uh, for the fans, you know, you get to see your favorite podcast just grow, and it's it's going to be good. I think I could voice, like, a, a Norwegian character. Maybe they could add a Norwegian character, and he could... Hmm, he could maybe... Hmm, maybe he could be, like, a second flamethrower guy. Like Pyro I could too? Do like a Nor- yeah, I could do, like, a Norwegian accent, and I could say something like... Hey, medic, you know? I think that would work. It'd be called Norwegian Wood. It'd be and, a character, and, isn't it? And you'd say something like, I'm I'm capturing the point. That's my Norwegian accent. What do you think? That's pretty good, actually. Uh, give me one more. Say, um, uh, Tango Down. Tango Down. Hey, that's uncanny, man. Thank Have you, you been pra- you've been practicing that beforehand, be honest. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of the thing, so I got my Norwegian pretty down pad, I'd say. Okay, I could tell. I mean, shit, that's that's no joke. All right. We're 5 minutes in. Let's let's move on. Enough with the you the know, pleasantries. The, yeah, let's just get on with it. Okay, let's get to the heart of the issue here. You started off. <sighs> yeah, so the hunger. If you watch a movie, you know what it's about. If you don't, Here's what it is. Basically, you got two vampires. One's named Miriam. The other name, the other guy's name is John. All right, that's David Bowie as John and his lover, Miriam. Now, um, John develops what I can only describe as vampire AIDS, and he starts to get. He gets bad blood or something, and he starts to get very old. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. I actually don't know what happened to him. I don't know if I missed something in the movie, but um, i that's the only conclusion I could come to, is he got some sort of vampire AIDS, and he started to rapidly age. Now, there's another subplot with Susan Sarandon. She plays Sarah Roberts. She's this doctor, and she studies monkey blood. Uh, because if you have good blood, you will be immortal. Or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, John gets old, and Miriam locks him up. And then... Uh, um, she and Susan Sarandon have lesbian sex, and, uh, th- what's funny? Well, nothing. It's just, <laughs> well, spoilers, you know, I mean, I was gonna get to that. 
I'm I'm just saying the whole who gives a damn. The, this is halfway through the movie, so not a spoiler. They have lesbian sex and um, become lesbian vampire lovers, and then the movie just goes from there. Um, That's like all the movie. Yeah, it's like all the movie. The movie uh, kind of stinks. That's my opinion. I think it looks nice. I think the soundtrack's kind of cool. Um, some of the acting's kind of cool. That's it. Uh, Matthew, what did you think? It feels like whoever wrote the script for this, and I should really check on that, um, they didn't actually really have an idea in mind for a story. They kind of had a couple nope. of motifs, maybe a couple of shots. Maybe they really liked vampires, you know, just, just seeing Nosferatu or they just spent a lot of time in a dingy New York nightclub <laughs> and seen a lot of goth people and thought, I could make a probably, I could probably make a good movie about this. And... You know what? I'll make it really sexy too, because this is a quote-unquote erotic thriller, okay, or erotic horror film. That's generous. My favorite subgenre, by the way, is just erotic anything, because you just know right off the bat that the focus will be on tight storytelling and and subtlety and tastefulness. Yeah, this movie's not that good. Um, <laughs> what's there to say about this movie? Um, I'll say this right off the bat. The reason people probably like this for cult purposes is because there's, yeah, there's a couple of cool shots in this. Cool. I'm going to say, I'm going to call them cool shots because that's what they are. They're not <laughs> good shots. They're cool shots. Because what this movie does is that it doesn't really do anything. You have this story about, the, okay, so yeah, you're right. The movie starts and John is, it's John and Miriam and they prey on these people that they find to eat them because they're vampires and they need to feed and then john starts aging and then he dies and then susan strandon's character in this i have to say okay the weaving of the plot lines between the vampire couple miriam and john and susan sarandon and her team and scientists is done so poorly that it feels like so it's so weak so it's like two separate films that you're watching that just cut back and forth between each other for no reason and by the way this movie does this thing a couple of times, um, which can be effective, but is not in this case, in which, you know, you do like a quick cut without really cutting audio. So you just get a quick frame of something else that's happening that you cut back. It's just really weak, just to juxtaposition doesn't really do anything because there isn't really any s strong thematic presence in this film for that to support or anything like that. Uh, the story in this, it just is so nothing like it's just it's no substance whatsoever. It just plods along. Things happen, and they don't really happen for any rhyme or reason. Uh, there isn't anything that feels like needs to be said. It doesn't feel like this is a particularly inspired script by any mm -hmm. means. I think the dialogue's like, it's okay. It's, you know, it's just conversational for the most part. But I don't know. This movie was, was pretty bad. It's just a really, really empty film for me. It's style over substance. However, even then, the style is... Mm, what's the best way to put this? Um, you know, <laughs> I guess you could say that the style in this erotic th uh, thriller is, is pretty flaccid overall. <laughs> I, I thought of something today while just thinking back about the movie. And that is that 
the whole setup of Susan Sarandon's character being this expert in the field of blood has no payoff. It goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. It has no purpose other than to get Susan Sarandon in Miriam's house kissing her. That's it. Because David Bowie's character goes to her and... And even this doesn't make sense. He must know that he's a vampire. And then he goes to this person and he's like, hey, can you look at my blood, please? Something's going wrong. Like she would say, oh, man, you got vampire crazy blood. Like what? Oh, here's here's your vampire antidote that we have whipped up. I That didn't even make... That doesn't make sense either. <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, it goes it goes nowhere. It, it it leads it leads to nothing. Miriam, the lady who plays Miriam, what's her name? It is Catherine Deneuve. Mm-hmm. She is so bad, so flat, and like not in a confident or mysterious way. She's just really flat. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. Not offering a whole lot there. Because you know what, and I completely agree. I think what they were kind of going for is is the, the European ancient woman with a mystique and mm-hmm. a, a sort of veneer that everyone wants to know, sort of a mysterious vibe. But of course, it fails spectacularly. Her lines are delivered so in such a stilted way. She's not a native English speaker. Uh, I looked it up. This was like her first English film. Mm-hmm. I think her most famous thing is in... Uh, she was in The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is like a French musical. I actually saw that one in high school. That's a pretty good movie. But that was done 20 years prior to this. But yeah, she's so flat in this. Performance-wise, like, she might be the absolute worst in this. And yeah. Not that Bowie does, like, a spectacular job either in the, I don't know, like, 30 to 40 minutes that he's even in this picture as, you know, Bowie and not just a, a rotted vegetable. But overall, like, performance-wise, Susan Sarandon's okay, I guess. I would say she's, she's like, the standout from this. She does a pretty good job with the little that she's given. Do you want to know my like m- my biggest gripe with this movie? Yes. It's that so we have David Bowie as a young man and then the whole and then for half the movie roughly maybe maybe a bit less than that. It's about him and he's trying to figure out like what's going like what's wrong with him? How can he stop this? And then you know, we get to see him take a couple of victims. Well, one and a half, I guess. He tries to drink someone's blood, but then it's a dude, and he's like, whoa, I can't... I'm not gay. And then <laughs> Step he up, bro. Runs away. Um, so we see this pretty much complete arc, and then the movie's like, um, okay, we're going to do that all again. It's. I was like, what? With Susan Sarandon. If you want to do something like that, you either have to start it like... Uh, like Phenomena. Oh, where, yeah, it's a shining example. Yeah, like where you have, where you have, the first kill or something, and then it kickstarts a movie from there. Because then you're like, oh, whoa, okay, let's uh, let's see what that's about. But in this movie, you get a complete movie, and then you get movie two. You get a sequel. You get a sequel movie in your movie, and it it just feels so weird because at that point you know. 
pretty, like, most people are like, okay, so they're vampires, she's a head vampire, Susan Sarandon is gonna go become a vampire now, like, you kind of piece it all together, even when Susan Sarandon does become a vampire, I was like, a oh, spoiler alert here, I guess, but whatever, it's a spoiler for the show, I looked over to Kayla, and like, um, Susan Sarandon is gonna kill herself, or she's gonna kill Miriam, she kills herself, and I was like, what? It, it's so, it, like, at that halfway mark where it's like, okay, we're going to start again. I'm like, I, I tapped out. I, I've seen this now. Like, do something interesting or let's move on. Let's end the show. It's not worth it. And you know what? I have a sort of, I guess this is an, a script oversight. Or perhaps this is something I've missed. But this film isn't uh, very strong in its world building or its ex explanation of the lore, per se. So what you find out is that John is like, uh, I'm getting old. I need help. And Miriam says, sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. Then he says, ah, kill me. And she's like, I can't. Well, they don't, so they don't explain why, like why she just can't put a grenade in his mouth and just kind of end the whole thing. I don't know if he would survive that, but anyway. So I she, think that was like an, I can't like she emotionally couldn't, which is, you know, not really that further, but whatever else, <laughs> let it slide. <laughs> Uh, so what she does, she goes upstairs and you find out that all her lovers throughout the years, because she's an ancient Egyptian, so she's been alive for thousands of years, she, keep, she just keeps them in these boxes in her attic yeah. and they're all kind of alive. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know, mummy, vampires can't die. And it's, so it's like a curse is that you can age, but then you can't die. So you're just this decrepit old mummy uh, living eternally. It's like hell. And then... It's the most boring take on vampires. <laughs> It's just done. It's because the, yeah, it is a very boring take. Because then it's like uh, uh, the ultimate price you have to pay. Ah, okay. Uh, what's next? Uh, and then Susan Sarandon. So then she kills herself. But then, but you can't die. So, but then Miriam goes to take her to the up, like upstairs right away. So I'm confused. Like, does vampiric death entail like you die, and then? But you're still awake, and you can still move around, as we see in the ending of the movie. It just doesn't make. Am, am I wrong in thinking this makes no sense whatsoever? Like I don't. No, understand. like it, it, it doesn't make sense. You're you're totally right. Like it. I, I that's why I said to Caitlin too. I was like, what? Like so they they just will age forever in in this box and will just never die. Then what's the point of the box? I I don't get it. Yeah, it's it just doesn't make sense. So that's just one thing that, you know, in an already super, super thin plot just adds to any confusion and just really made me apathetic about the whole story, character, idea of this movie anyway. And, you know, I guess to a degree, you, can, you know, you could say that in a movie like this, which is an erotic horror film, you know, it's more about the sensationalism. So it's about being sexy and it's about being scary. Um, unfortunately, not really either of those, I found. Um, you know, maybe you could call me a prude or maybe you can call me whatever you want to say. But I don't think this movie tries to be sensual, okay, as erotic films kind of do. But it really just fails for me. Um, I'm watching these scenes and they don't feel particularly sexy. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. In a film like this, when you don't really care about anything that's going on, I can't really invest myself 
in a kind of an erotic scene like that without it just being like a you know a pure act of voyeurism and you know i don't really get down with that when i'm watching a movie uh so that really fell flat for me there's only like a couple of really like love scenes in this film the big one is that susan sarandon and and catherine Deneuve have one later on and it's like whatever it's not shot like particularly well or anything like that from a horror perspective uh this movie isn't horrifying or thrilling at all you know there's a couple of scenes where they really ramp up this eerie string music and you really are supposed to be feeling something however i could not uh bring myself to the edge of the seat by any means whatsoever it's just a really sort of boring film in that regard uh so in a movie like this normally you could perhaps excuse you know the lack of story because you could say this is kind of like you know i guess like a more modern version of an exploitation film but there's nothing here for me because the sexiness isn't sexy the horror isn't scary and the movie itself doesn't have anything to say i like what what in the erotic scenes like am i supposed to get turned on by those like is that the yes. whole point yes because th did not happen I just, um yeah i don't know to be quite frank and, but i'll say this i'll say this i'll give it i'll throw it a bone it was probably the most tasteful nudity we've seen so far. Well, uh, there's <laughs> tasteful nudity in Dawn of the Dead. God, I could have uh, I could have gone the rest of my life without seeing David Bowie feeling up some young coeds uh, titties. Yeah, it's yeah. like five minutes into the film. What a shock to me. Yeah. Okay, like that's something I could have gone without. I mean, he, he has experience feeling young women's breasts, but... Yeah, that was the worst part about it, is that I can divorce that from my mind. You know what, David Bowie, um, it's kind of weird that they picked him for this film, even. Because I guess this is his attempt, I guess, of doing a more subdued role. I don't know if this is before or after Labyrinth, which is like his more haha -ha silly one, where he's jumping around with Jim Henson puppets and wearing a silly wig. But I think after this is a really poor turn for him. I really tried to focus on his acting because this is, I think, besides Labyrinth, the only film I've really seen with him. And I don't think he's a particularly gifted actor. In the scenes where he really has to give a little something and show some of John's anguish at just falling, at his body falling apart before his eyes, he doesn't really sell it. There's one scene where he has to give a scream where he says, Miriam! And it's just super flat and his face doesn't really change. And that's really where it ended for me. So I don't really think David Bowie was an inspired choice for this besides, you know, him being a pop culture icon at the time. And I don't know, he's kind of fashionable. And this movie that really tries to affect kind of higher culture with, oh, that's the classical music. And oh, look at these classy vampires. But it's just, it's just so empty. So not sicko mode. It's so un-sicko mode, okay? Um, performance there's a couple other characters in this movie that they don't even really touch on at all uh, there's a couple of members of her team and it's funny that you mentioned that her her job as a scientist doesn't really affect the plot in any way they also have this thing where they show these monkeys mm -hmm. okay and you know this is very this is like something i was expecting this is like something we've seen i feel like in movies we reviewed here like a couple of times before you know you saw these scientists studying this animal and they go oh i don't understand this animal's acting all strange and you know usually in the movies review there's some kind of strain or 
some kind of virus or some parasitic yep. alien invading them, right? They don't explain anything about that. Were those vampire nope. monkeys? They just have this one monkey that goes crazy, okay? And this is really what makes me think that this movie really had no thought behind it, especially in regards to the cinematography. Yep. And they really just want to go for some self-indulgent uh, look at this compared to this thing. The big opening scene in which Miriam and John take home this young couple and they feed on them is juxtaposed with the scenes of Susan Sarandon's monkeys in her laboratory mm -hmm. in which one of them goes crazy and eats its partner. Uh, but then they don't come back to that at all. That monkey just ages and then dies and then yep. that's it. I, I guess it's a motif, uh, but actually it's just stupid uh, and I hated it. <laughs> so <laughs> why, why, why was there nothing, nothing in between these scenes Nothing for me to latch on to, nothing for me to attach to. It's just such, it's just so devoid of substance. I can't believe it. It, it feels like there's like half an hour of the movie missing. Yeah, like, I mean, the movie's only, what, like an hour and 35 minutes? So it's a pretty brief film. Uh, yeah, there, it feels like there's just something else that needs to be going on. There isn't a lot of characters, and they're not doing a lot of things. And there isn't really a lot of events really happening. I mean, you get a couple of scenes where they feed on people. Uh, I guess one of the more uh, horrific scenes in this film is when John, in an act of desperation, when he's become super, super old, he just decides to feed on this young girl that they tutor in classical music. She plays the violin. And even that, like, it just felt cheap to me because at that point, we don't know the character that well. I think that was something that, like, felt like should have happened or should have been, like, a sort of climactic moment. And I almost, I almost wish that the John storyline, or because maybe this is just because what I assumed within the first 30 minutes of the film would endure longer than it did. But then it just segues yeah. into sort of this pseudo love story between Susan Sarandon and and Deneuve. And it's just an excuse for some for some lesbian kissing that's yeah that's that's what i was saying like it we have two kind of different movies and then they just mash them together doesn't work for me um i i was gonna say earlier i like the effect on the monkey decaying that was probably like the coolest mm -hmm. um horror aspect in it and and going back to what i was saying about how this is probably like the most boring take of vampires i've seen so far even like susan saranda's character she gets lured into Mi Miriam's heart in her apartment it's so lame it's like Susan Sarandon is like like she knows what's happening um and she's just willingly doing these things it's not like a mind can it it's it doesn't seem like mind control like in and if it is mind control they handled it so poorly um, like they did a way better in the original Dracula movie with Bela Lugosi, like that he's flashing his eyes and you can see that they're in a trance. This movie, she just seems like all of a sudden she goes from doctor to lesbian vampire and it, it really, it makes no sense. And there's one scene where she like tries to escape. She like walks out of the apartment or whatever, tries to call two taxis, calls her boyfriend or husband or whatever. And then he doesn't pick up, and then she's like, well, I guess I'm stuck. And she just walks back in, and I'm like, what? You're not even going to try walking home? <laughs> or taking the bus? Like, that's it? 
She just walks back up. Okay, I'm a vampire now. It's like, okay. Well, it's funny so because dumb. because there's a scene where she says she shows up at Miriam's place after the first visit. She found that John had left for Switzerland when he's mm-hmm. obviously just been in the attic. And she says, you know what? I don't even know what I'm doing here. And that was a cool fourth wall break moment from the filmmakers <laughs> because not even they knew what she was doing there. So I, I thought that was that was cool. That was like a kind of a ha funny moment. You know, I love when a director can poke poke fun at themselves like that. It was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, and even like the realistic aspects of the movie don't make sense. Like they had this crematorium in the basement. Dude, if they were burning bodies there all the time, it would smell so bad. They would have people knocking on the door all the goddamn time. And when they killed that little girl and the detective comes, he's like, hey, uh, you see her? And she's like, nope. He's like, okay. All right. Good uh, good job there, pal. <laughs> Movie cop moment. You got to love them. They come in. They go to the one place where a young girl has been frequenting besides school. They say, hey, do you know where she is? No. All right. Well, we'll check back maybe in a couple months or so. And my hands are tied. This is why this is why we go to Walmart and we say 450 missing cases dating back from all the way to 1985 because we got real life fucking movie cops on the job. It's embarrassing. This movie is mm. embarrassing too. Let's, let me check my notes. I don't know if I have much else to say. <laughs> I got um, I got nothing else to say. I will throw out a big bone here. You yeah. didn't like it stylistically. I actually thought the movie looked pretty good. Like, you said that there were cool shots. I think, like, most of it looked pretty good. This movie is very aesthetically dark. Like, they're not in one room that doesn't have a fluorescent bulb in it. Everything is so goddamn blue because Halloween and the Dark Knight are run for its money. But uh, I think it looks good. I mean, for sure, the the color work and I guess the lighting and stuff, it's it, there. It's not an untrained hand here. You can tell that there's some care into it. But when you have all this and you have these shots that, you know, a great example is the ending of the film in which Miriam's lovers rise up. OK, so she puts she she puts Sarah to bed and she says, all yep. right, goodbye, sweetheart. But then for some reason, all her lovers rise up. And, for no reason. Yeah, and they go and they go. It's literally what they're doing to her. They're going ah, and she's going no, no, and then she falls off the balcony. Okay, and in easily the most hilariously bad scene in the film, she just starts shaking violently after she falls on the ground, and she's going ah, and then all her lovers collapse, and then they turn into ash, and they turn into dust, and then you see birds fly in, and you can tell they're going oh, look at this. Oh, it's just so self-indulgent like oh look at this apocalyptic imagery isn't it so beautiful but it doesn't mean (laughs) shit because you it's so contrived because i don't even know what's happening in a literal sense like plot wise and they don't explain it they just rise up and then she is shaking on the ground for no reason it's so silly and it just it leaves me empty i can't do that kind of thing anymore because you need to have something else you need to have a rhyme or reason you need to have something behind the shots behind the pretty pictures because otherwise i can just look at some screenshots on imdb after i'm done but that's you know that's the thrust of it for me it's just 
it's just cool or pretty imagery uh, without anything to support it or for it to mean anything to me. Yeah, that's that's right. That's like what I was saying during the face-off review. Well, face-off was really good, though. Well, okay. Um, face-off face then... has way better characters than this. Way better script than this. Whoa. It, yes, well, yes. Don't even well, trip. Don't even trip. Just cool it. <laughs> they an, might be more charismatic. I don't know if they're better. They're cooler. They're more entertaining. They're more dynamic. I can't. Don't compare face off to this crap. I can't. I'll, th I'll throw this one more bone. Uh, th they have some pretty sporadic editing. I think a lot of the editing in the movie is pretty cool. Um, they'll have like... They'll have... How do I explain it? Like, a scene will be going on, and then the audio from the scene that we see cuts out, and then, like, audio from another scene will come on, and then maybe a little bit later, then it visually cuts to the scene that we're getting the new audio from, mm -hmm. or vice versa. Um, there's lots of cool stuff, like the past and the present will be happening at the same time. Um, all that sort of stuff is cool. However, just like the world building is terrible. And like, so at the very, very end, Susan Sarandon is now alive and she's starting her own vampire family or something. And then we hear Miriam screaming. Um, I don't know if she, if she missed it, but you, apparently you can just break out of those coffins whenever it serves an important storyline. So maybe uh, she should get one of those going and then she can find the, the strength to bust out. Yeah, she... Um, yeah. 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 Apparently that, uh, and uh, that's, here's an, I'll give you two more pieces of trivia. That was like partly because of the studio, because it, especially with horror films oh, at the time, <laughs> especially with horror just, films at the just time. Just shove it up your ass. There no were, way this is getting a sequel. Just fuck you. They were like, well, you got to leave it open just in case, in case every, in, in case the people really find something special in this film. We got to, we got to give them more of what they want. So thank God. Thank God they didn't. The Nightmare on Elm Street ending. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's one of the great tragedies in this life. Although some of those move sequels are good, right? I haven't seen them. Um, Caitlin and I were talking. Because you know how we do the Halloween Horror Nights. Um, mm -hmm. We were like, for this year, we should just do all the schlock sequels. It's going to be a long 30 days, probably. 31 of them. Oh God, yeah! Like all the Halloweens, all the nightmares, all the, all the Friday the Thirteenth, all the screams, yeah, just all, all that garbage. All the Jason movies, Jason X. Let's go! <laughs> oh yeah, let's go, Jason Uber, X. Uber Jason, <laughs> dude. I need. They should just continue making more Friday the Thirteenth, but just Jason in space, Jason in World <laughs> War Two. <laughs> Jason in uh, Jason in a romantic comedy. Just just get experimental with it. You know, do whatever you want. That's really when it's gonna pull me into seats. I don't know about <laughs> everybody else. Jason and Kumar go to White Castle. Yes, I want to. I want a Jason. Here's what I want. I want Jason and Freddie. Yeah. To team up, and. <laughs> This time, they got to put their differences aside, and they got to hit the road, okay? <laughs> and it's going to be 
a feel-good family comedy for the summer. And I think it's really going to... I think it's going to be a big hit, really. I don't know. Two brothers. This summer... There. there will be a scene where Jason has like some rotting flesh that falls off of his face or something, and then Freddy. This will be the turning point in the movie where they kind of put aside their differences and they realize, hey, we're not so different after all. And Freddy will pick up his flesh and put it back on his skin, and it'll be like, "Thanks, man." <laughs> yeah. Freddy will be like, "Anytime, bitch." And then, yeah. and then in the trailer for the movie, it'll end with like. Uh, Jason like doing something and then I don't know if you noticed this but there's I noticed that there's a lot of this where they just get hit by something and then it's just a really bad CGI shot of their body flying really far yeah I'm honest you know what I'm sold let's pitch it (laughs) who who owns the rights is it Disney now uh it may be you have a 50 50 chance if it's Disney then we have pretty good odds honestly because I don't know what else they're gonna do with these properties I like it. I like it, brother. They'll do like a, a kid-friendly cartoon where it'll be like baby baby Freddy and baby Jason. Camp Crystal Lake and they're having little adventures at summer camp. It'll be so yep. so good. That's going to be so sicko mode. mode. I cannot wait. You know, uh, the camp counselor can be like the devil <laughs> or something. Get Predator in there, too. I think it's all in the same... Is that... No, wait. I don't know who owns who. I know Fox owns Predator and Alien, which means that Disney owns them now. I don't know about Freddy and Jason. I can't wait to see a Disney Alien movie. That'll be so sicko mode. That'll be sicko mode. I mean, can they get any worse than they were? And, like, Alien will fight the Hulk. <laughs> dude. Don't, dude, don't even tell me that wouldn't be sick. That would, that would be awesome. That would be epic. That would be, be so poggers. That would be a poggers moment. That would be a gamer win, I'd say. They say a bit. All right, fuck the hunger. Uh, let's go to bags. All right, give it bags. Uh, four out of ten. One bag. What? Okay. Well, One bag. Fuck this movie. Fuck this. I, I don't know about that. You might be hungry if you have one bag of popcorn. I'll be hungry. Yeah, that's what the hunger is. <laughs> One bag of popcorn, and on top, I asked for butter, but the clerk, uh, because she didn't like the outfit I was wearing, uh, decided to put one of those flavor packets on it, like dill pickle. Ugh, and ugh. I and I take a couple of bites, and I don't even want the rest. Yeah. And I put it down on the ground, but the smell of the dill pickle on my fingers ugh. lingers for the rest of the film, and it ruins the whole experience. That's what this movie's that- getting. That dill pickle seasoning, just throw that right in the trash. Who is eating leave that? Leave it there. People do. People are pickle like, hey, flavor. can I get three packs of that? Jesus. And these people walk among us as if they're people. Among us. <laughs> Bit of an among us moment. <laughs> kind of sus. Kind of sus. <laughs> You're getting mad sussy on that among us. Uh, you had some ideas for movies for next week. Yeah, so I decided, I think we can safely say that after the second time using it, the wheel experiment was a massive failure. Uh, kind of a low, a small, um, it didn't work out. Sample size. Let's just be honest. 
Well, we're going to give it a few more shots. but Well, maybe down the line, but not anytime soon and certainly not in my lifetime. But I'm going to give you two options, okay? And they're going to okay. be... They're they're gonna be movies that they'll probably be decent. They could be mm-hmm. not. They're gonna be good picks. Okay, so mm-hmm. last week we reviewed a Jennifer Connelly film. This week we reviewed a David Bowie film. So I thought, why not? One of the options this week will be The Labyrinth with both of them. Okay, and that has Jim Henson puppets, so you know it's gonna be a good time. And the other option for you is This Is Spinal Tap, the famous rock mockumentary. Mm-hmm. So are your two options for this week in the spirit you know of democracy what? i i honestly can't pick i'm gonna take it to the wheel oh god what are you, <laughs> what are you doing i'm actually gonna grab a coin. did you lose your a... ability to make a decision in the last month what happened well they're just both so great um yeah i'm gonna leave it to chance one moment and chance as we know, is fair. One second. Hmm. Unprejudiced. Uh, Unbiased. Unsomething and fair. <laughs> Alright. Heads for Spinal Tap. Tails. The Labyrinth it is. We're doing Labyrinth. Alright, so it's, it's logical. Uh, this one could be good. Thing came out in '87 or something like that. Um, I was gonna say there was a Netflix series about it, but I was wrong. They made a Dark Crystal Netflix series. Yeah, Dark Crystal. Uh, but uh, this one could be cool. Although it is Dark David, Crystal. it's David Bowie acting alongside a teenage girl, so this could get messy, folks. Yeah, it got messy behind the scenes. <laughs> Who the fuck was kissing David Bowie? This man is so goddamn ugly. This is a big point of contention. I don't know if I don't I don't know if David Bowie's ugly, okay? I'll say this. I think he's unconventionally attractive. I can see the appeal. But he's a he's a unique looking individual for sure. And he has British. Yeah, he's teeth. unique I'll for say sure. That this movie is the best showcase of David Bowie's distinctly British teeth. Not with those teeth, mate. <laughs> If only the if only the record execs had said that when he first walked in, that we could have been spared this whole thing. David Bowie was nearly in Lord of the Rings until I... producers remembered Labyrinth based. <laughs> is that is that a, like an onion article? Uh Esquire. Oh, wait, so that's real? Yeah. No. I think we talked about this on the show before, but Terry Gilliam was going to do Watchmen. And he wanted David yeah. Bowie's Rorschach. That would have sucked. In hindsight, maybe... You know, okay, in hindsight, I would have liked Terry Gilliam to do it. And I would have liked yes. the movie to be developed at the time. Uh, you know, maybe David Bowie could have done well. Y- you know what? Hey, think of this. He would have been wearing a mask for like 90, <laughs> 95% of the movie. So it's really the voice. Although he doesn't really have the gruff uh, kind of... St- you know, squiggly speech bubble line kind of voice that you would expect for Rorschach, but I don't know, maybe you could change it up. That's a thing. Like that's what that's the first thing I was thinking of. Like I don't care about his looks or whatever, but he doesn't. Like when I read Watchmen, there's a very specific voice that I kind of I read Rorschach's voice in, and but i i don't think david bowie could sell that voice that i have in mind i mean the guy that played 
Rorschach in the Snyder movie. He, mm-hmm. I, I think that was pretty close. Yeah, he did. A, I actually think that he did a great job. Like, I, I don't know what else. That's really like I think he did an excellent job. I don't know if I will have any critiques for that performance really. Um, but also, yeah, but Bowie is British. I don't even know if he can do an American accent. So that's that's problem number one. But you know what? If that movie had happened, they probably would have auditioned Bowie, gone, man, that was a terrible idea, and then gone good actors, and then we wouldn't have had to have the Snyder movie. By the way, the Snyder Cut came out this week. I think the reviews for it were semi-positive. Uh, I don't care. I still hate Snyder. I hate his fans. I hate his movies. I give a damn. I'm giving an F. Also, Falcon and Winter Soldier came out this week, but we won't be reviewing Who it. Who cares? Uh, I'm. I didn't watch the first episode, but I will. I like Captain America enough that uh, I'll give it a shot. Do you know if Gary Oldman is um, British? Dude, um, he's. Um, he is. He is. I think. Gary because Oldman I, is British. I was rewatching Batman Begins, and maybe you should look for this if, when whenever you rewatch that movie. Yeah, Gary Oldman as um, Gordon yeah. in Batman Begins. His voice, his accent sounds so fake. Does his it? American accent? Yes. I didn't even know this, and maybe I'm just gullible. But I, I was, it was, it was a shock for me when I found out that yeah, he is British. Because um, I thought he was convincing. I, you know, I. I see The Dark Knight a lot more than I see Batman Begins, probably, which I've seen, like, maybe three times. But I think in Dark Knight, he holds it together pretty well. I didn't notice any breaks. But yeah, he is British. He's one of those guys where you're like, damn, he's British. I also thought that of Christian Bale, because I, I think Christian Bale's American accent is very, very good. Very good. It's, like, ridiculously good. And I mean, he's, he does so many American roles. You actually rarely hear him as an Englishman in his role. His most famous yeah. roles are Batman... And Bateman, and those are both American. Uh, even he was in Ford for Ferrari, the Ferrari a couple of years ago. He's American, or no, actually he's British in that one. But yeah, he's mostly like an American. It's just his accent is just so darn good. And it's funny you mentioned that because I wrote in my notes here. This is the one thing I didn't mention is that there's like when David Bowie is in this movie's aging. At one point, I swear to God, he looked just like Gary Oldman. Like, the facial structure, like, just the lower half. Like, when he's waiting in the office uh, for Dr. Roberts and he has his glasses and his hat on, I was like, that kind of looks like Gary Oldman. I I didn't look it up to confirm it, but maybe this is me just being a bit cynical. I I was thinking that there was no way that when David Bowie's character was getting older and older that that was David Bowie under all that makeup. You think they got somebody else? I, I think so. You think David Bowie would be too much of a prima donna to sit down for like two, three hours of the hard makeup? Because that was like, they really transformed him. And I mean, I guess at that point you could dub some his voice over somebody else's acting. Honestly, yeah. I was like, man, eh, this is probably someone else. <laughs> I And speaking of vampire movies, I just gotta say, I gotta get to it and watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. I feel... I'm hopeful for this movie. Yeah. Well, it's got Francis Ford Coppola in the director's chair, and it's got so many good Anthony Hopkins, Winona Ryder, Gary Oldman, Keanu Reeves. Boom, boom, boom. Well, this is Coppola like twenty years after Apocalypse Now. I just remember this. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did Godfather, he did Apocalypse Now, you know, 20 years later. At 20 years, the hubris that a director like that will get from his coasting off his acclaimed work, it's incredible. You always see that. I mean, some, some keep pumping out the hits. I even think Tarantino, you know, for all his faults that I think some of his newer films have, he's kept it pretty consistent over the last almost 30 years now. So... But yeah, usually they just they just fall off. I don't know if they just run out of ideas, or if they just have too many yes men, kind of a George Lucas situation, kind of cropping up. But there's always that decline. I don't get the people that like hate the new Tarantino stuff, and they're like, "You, it like I mean, not that they're all the same, but." His movies are very similar. I'm not seeing that many different like. And didn't see the hateful and I'm like, this is trash, garbage. Well, like, like they're just a victim of their own expectations because when Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction hit, those were like radically different styles at the time. They're independent yeah. movies. It was like it was such a fresh take. Now, okay, he kind of he has a style. Obviously, it's distinct. You can tell when you're watching a Tarantino movie. So I think either people are expecting him to reinvent the wheel, which he won't. I think at this stage in his career any more than he already has uh and because of that they're getting maybe tired of his shtick i kind of agree though i mean when i go into a tarantino movie and whenever he pumps out what i think is going to be his last film whatever 10th <laughs> film he has coming out i you know it's like a fighter saying he's retiring doesn't mean shit uh but i'll keep my expectations in check like i i i don't expect directors like 30 years in to like pump something radically different from what they're doing maybe i should and hold them to a higher standard. But I don't think his newer movies are really bad. I don't think he's put out a bad movie, period. Uh, other than Death Proof, I would agree. You don't like Death Proof at all? I mean, maybe it's a pass, but um, I, I watched it the one time and I was pretty bored. <laughs> Not impressed, eh? Not impressed. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you, Mr. Tarantino very disappointed uh do you watch anything good that you want to shout out uh i've been just watching death notes <laughs> with fan of the show uh a very good friend of mine gabrielle shout out to her uh it's, it's funny because last week i think we were talking about it and you asked me are you watching it dubbed or subbed and i said subbed of course uh i found out she was not watching it subbed so we were i was watching yeah. subbed. she was watching dub I didn't know until after and she asked me so now we're watching it dubbed i like it better dubbed and you want to know why i like it better dubbed because the show is it's it's kind of melodramatic okay let's be honest yep the dub work and like the voiceover work is pretty good not like good in like a technical sense like this is actually good voice acting but it suits the tone of the show and thankfully i switched to dubs the episode where we get the potato chip scene and it was all worth it nice but otherwise the show's pretty good i'm actually enjoying it quite a bit i i think i've mentioned before i haven't seen a lot of anime uh i've seen akira i've seen like a couple others like i've seen a little attack on time um and i've we luke and i started watching cowboy bebop however we need to resume that because we didn't get to finish but uh, yeah it's pretty enjoyable overall yeah that was pre-covid that's pre-COVID, R.I.P. 
to uh, tell the good times lost because of COVID. But they'll be back soon. Uh, I watched Shazam. I want to show that movie out because that uh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. That's what happens when you don't have Zack Snyder involved in a DC project. <laughs> yeah, there were a few. I had like a few gripes. The biggest one is that the villain kind of sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think not writing wise. Uh, the just kind of performance kind of sucked. Can we be? Can we have an honest discussion here? Um, is yeah. Mark Strong even a good actor? Has he ever had a good role? I'm going to look this up right now. Okay, he does kind of the same kind of deal every time. <laughs> he's in Kick-Ass, which sucks. Uh, he's in... Oh, right, he's a dad! You don't like Kick-Ass? No, I don't like Kick-Ass. I like Kick-Ass. I don't like Kick-Ass. I, I think it's pretty epic. <laughs> I don't like Kick-Ass uh, really one bit. I think it's lame. Uh, well, he's in the he's the dad in Kick Ass. Which dad? Oh, he's um, a villain. McLovin's yeah, dad. He plays the same character in every movie, just like a mustache and evil hard ass. Yeah, yeah. I can't find a single. I I I'm struggling to find good movies in his discography. He plays Sinestro in Green Lantern. He's terrible in that. He's in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with Old Men, although I haven't seen that. I've been meaning to see that, though, so maybe I'll give him a shot there. But, uh, yeah, everything else he's in is crap. He's in Kingsman. He's okay in that. But that's, like, the one movie where he's not doing Mark Strong. He's playing, like, a... He's basically playing Q from James Bond in that one, and he does a pretty good job. But, yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give Mark Strong two out of five bags as an actor. Yeah, he was he was kind of crap in that. Uh, they made him a little too campy, and it just got a little cheesy. But I think the rest was was good. I, Shazam as an actual character uh, was great. I mean, like the kid, and then a superhero version of the kid was like great because even when he transforms into the older his older self, I don't really know the whole Shazam lore, so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say it's him, but an older version of him. Um, he, you can still tell that it's him. Like he doesn't transform into this, into Zachary Levi, and then he becomes a super mature Chad. He's still like a very playful kid. I think that was like that was handled really well. They did that really well, actually. Yeah, I think it's uh, Zachary Levi did good because that's the biggest concern, right? Is that and that was like my concern when like. Uh, the Rock was in talks for the character, or like anybody like that. Like I don't think the Rock can convey the kind of wide-eyed innocence of a kid. Uh, no, it would have just been the Rock um, smiling and being a really wholesome dad or something. And then, and then he would, and then there'd be a scene where he has to do some strong thing, and then they show his big muscles. Guys, look at his big <laughs> muscles. Guys, look at. The Rock, you know, we, the cop Instagram, we follow a couple people, okay? The Rock is the only personality we follow. And is it because we like him? No, it's because we love him. And we hold him to a standard that we don't hold other actors. So just understand that when we criticize him, it's because we know he's capable of greatness if he just gets the right push. Can you smell? What The Rock is cooking... 
He doesn't. He. I, I'll say this. I don't think Dwayne the Rock Johnson has ever done a good performance in his life. I'll say that confidently. <laughs> Maybe Tooth Fairy. Maybe Tooth Fairy. What about the Tooth Fairy, bro? Okay, a Tooth Fairy. I'll give him that. That's about it. Uh, I'm gonna have to factor this right now if I can find what IMDb. A good performance, not a good movie. Okay. Uh, okay, fine. A good performance. Um, what about Moana? Um, actually, yeah, you know, that's not this. It's it's okay. His singing is better than I thought it would be. I know people are talking shit about it, but I thought it was fine. Okay, I'll give him Moana. I thought it was fine. But he, but we're giving him props for being okay because we expected him to be bad. So what does that say about him? What about him in the Fast and Furious movies? Um, really bad. What about him? In... I like I like Pain and Gain, although I don't know if I can say that's a good performance of his. I think Mark Wahlberg has a good performance in that, and I think um, Anthony Mackie has a good performance in that as well. But I don't know if The Rock does. He probably doesn't. He's going to race to which mountain because of the meme. I like the meme. What about when he was in uh, Star Trek Voyager? When did that happen? Mm. What episode was this? Uh... Oh, is it? Um, okay, that happened. I fucking hate the Star Trek Wikipedia. It's so annoying. What's it What's uh, it called? Because there's Wikipedia. What's Star Trek's one? MemoryAlpha.Fandom.Com okay. It's so got... Like, it, 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 it's like a lore website. Like, I don't care about the lore. I care about the real-life shit. Like, it's like, um, this episode happened on Stardate. Like, just shut up. Um, so that happened February 9th, 2000. Ooh. Let me see what he looks hmm. like in this episode. Is he, what did he play? I don't know. I haven't seen Voyager. I just know that he was on it. I kind of miss the rock when he had hair. I think that's yeah. the real turning point for me. Is that when he went I bet he does too. <laughs> but he plays a Klingon. It's just a rock, but they put the Klingon shit on his forehead oh and they barely put stuff on it's so gratuitous i also miss the rock when he was like more wrestler and versus like now i i miss his older physique when he had a little bit of paunch you know now he looks and now, like, now he looks like, a, roided. looks like a freak disgusting this is the example that we give to our children mr <laughs> Dwayne the rock johnson not my society um, I thought I had something else to say, but I've completely forgot what it was. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's good. Uh, I love him, and I'll watch Baywatch seven times. Um, I give Baywatch ten bags. I give this show seven bags. And I give The Hunger four out of ten bags. Nice. I totally forget what I was going to say. Damn it! I'll, rem uh, I'll remember, and then I'll forget, and I won't mention it in next week's show. So, if you're hoping to one day find out, won't happen. Sorry, guys. Alright, sounds good to me. Matt, are you still doing uh, the panel? Beyond the panel? Uh, it's on hiatus right now, unfortunately. Uh, but we hope to resume. I'm hoping to resume sometime soon. Because I do like talking comics. 
and there isn't really anywhere else to talk about them besides online but lord some of these forums man they're no good and comic shops are fine too but you know i hate to say it but there's not a lot of clientele really frequenting them so yeah especially now because of covid but yeah beyond the panel for all you beyond the panel fans out here who just can't get enough of me so they're listening to this show uh, just follow my socials give me a call sometime late night and i might pick up and we'll see how it goes if beyond the panel uh doesn't pick up steam you know what you can do you can have a matthew's comic corner it can be a segment at the end of the show i appreciate the the bone throw you just gave me there just a little i you know i appreciate it it, I, uh, I of course will then own Beyond the Panel because it's happening on my show. So is this your show? But it's my it's my show. It's no one's show. It's uh, it's UMFM show. They own our ass. <laughs> well, I can't wait till the legal proceedings when we have to prove our ownership of the show after it blows up and and all the sponsors and then of course the so sickle of- mode. <laughs> So sick of mode. Okay, so next week we're doing Labyrinth, and then yep. the week after that we're not telling you guys anymore because you guys yep. don't need to know two weeks in advance. What you you need fourteen days to watch a movie? What is- the real reason is because we um, would say we were doing a movie and then we would actually forget what movie we were doing, and then we would pick a completely different movie, <laughs> and I was tired of that. Uh, and our ineptitude as hosts, so I I scrapped that. That's the real uh, behind the scenes lore. I thought that was guys. I thought that was kind of fun. That's kind of like one of our quirks, you know. It's one of the things that brings... when we sucked. N- no, look, I, our flaws are what make us beautiful. Okay. Welcome to the real world, pal. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> End the show. End the show. I'm done. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed anything you heard today, Make sure to stay tuned for weekly episodes available for streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and umfm.com. And don't forget to follow our Instagram page at COP Podcast.